yeah, there's something to see. You've got the impression this is a lively place. People care more for the place because you see people and that the cycling also, the pedestrian is the most strongest effect, but also cycling, you do can see faces, you can see emotions, you can make a small connection and you feel, hey, I'm not standing here in the dead space, I'm standing in a living space. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host during this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is March 5th, 2021. And in this week's episode, I'm delighted to share with you a discussion I recently had with Roland Kaher, the bike train guru of the Netherlands. I'll note that this was recorded literally in the hours prior to the big winter storm that left us paralyzed for nearly a week here in Texas. We talked through the synergistic relationships that exist between their cycle and transit systems, how they build upon each other, and steps cities across North America and around the world can take to emulate the phenomenal success that the Dutch enjoy. But first, before we leave the station, please allow me a moment to recognize that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. And if you too would like to help support and promote Active Towns, please head over to my website at activetowns.org and click on that blue donate button at the top right corner of the page. For your convenience, there's also a link in the show notes and on the landing page for this episode. One final thing before we leave the platform, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on your preferred listening platform. This serves two primary purposes. One, it will help to ensure that you receive each new episode. And two, it also helps enhance the visibility of the podcast for those who might be searching for something to listen to. Thanks. Okay, time to get this discussion with Roland Kaher rolling. Roland Kaher, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thanks, John. First off, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today about the powerful symbiotic nature and connection between uh, public transport and cycling in the Netherlands and the potential lessons for cities and regions around the globe. But before we dive into all that, would you just briefly share with us a little bit about yourself? So, hi, I'm Roland Kager. I have been a researcher for a number of years on connecting cycling with transit and cities. And since five years, I work uh, at a consultancy firm. We are Studio Bereikbaar. We work for the major cities and ministries in the Netherlands and also a bit abroad on where cities, cycling and transit meet. And uh, glad to have a discussion about all three themes with you here. Fantastic. And uh, we were we were just speaking about this uh, before we hit the record button that it's a winter wonderland right there. So that's that's kind of new and exciting for you all in the sense that uh, it doesn't snow that much that often, correct? No, it's only, well, with climate change, uh, I remember from childhood that it was more often and now it's maybe once in five years that there's a little bit of snow, but now we got the, the wall thing. So it's, uh, uh, there's 30, 40 centimeters of snow here in my garden everywhere. And actually today was the first day I could go cycling again 
for the past four or five days, I've been locked in my house and I was not the only one in this country and that didn't depend on cycling. It was also the car drivers that were locked in. Wow, there you go. Well, hey, just to let you know, uh, so that you don't feel left out or we don't feel left out, we have a polar vortex coming our way here in Texas. And so we're going to have uh, potentially snow for the second time this year, uh, later this this week and into next week. Yeah, I think we're some 15,000 miles apart, but I think this polar vortex is the same thing you're getting. So uh, <laughs> we're connected in that sense. Well, we, we are connected. And so speaking of connections, one of the things that uh, uh, we want to dive into and talk about is this connection between cycling and public transport. Now, I had the opportunity, the good fortune to, to hear your presentation in person in Rotterdam a couple of years ago on a People for Bikes uh, study tour. So it's such a, a pleasure to be able to chat with you uh, personally, because we saw that you put together a really cool video uh, with the Dutch Cycling Embassy that went out uh, a week or so ago. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that, that, that research that you did and the information that was uh, presented uh, in your presentation typically, but also specifically in that video. All right, so I can uh, kick loose. That's well. I, I actually think uh, I'm a, a, a transport engineer uh, for a long time, and at some point, I was invited to do a study on what actually do we know about cycling and transit, and can you draft a research agenda on that? And that was a question posed by the University of Amsterdam. And then also I started thinking, what actually do the two have in common? And very rapidly I came to the point, how strange I never asked this question to me. I have been a vivid user of uh, both modes for a long time. Uh, I see a lot of people around me that are dependent on this system. And actually I see a lot of places that are dependent on this system and vice versa, that we see a number of places, which are mostly cities and urban cultures, uh, on the rise since 2000, 2005. Here in the Netherlands, we really see an explosion of both cycling and transit use and mostly the combination. So that's those developments go hand in hand and actually are spiraling each other upwards. But also uh, this 15,000 miles uh, that we are apart, I really think uh, I see the same dynamics in be it Vancouver or Texas or Paris or London or all the major cities where transit systems are in place, there is starting points for cycling culture at all cities and countries at different levels. And then often it's the debate you and the Netherlands are so well advanced, but I think it's more interesting to focus on the, 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 the growth percentages. And they, I think, are really similar, not just in that these systems grow by a couple percentage of uh, per year. And of course, we are on a different level than other cities and countries, but also which specific places, namely cities and places in some two to five kilometers around major stations or other likewise uh, places that have transit quality to interesting other places. And the more you have all those three, the more they're spiraling each other up. And from this observation, I started this research to document it, to find the mechanisms, why this is the case. And uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, a great pleasure to, to delve into it more and then see it repeated everywhere that when people come to the Netherlands, they think we 
where here we see we have all this cycling culture, how nice it would be to have a house in, 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 in our own place. But often you see people miss out that there's a, a very big linkage with this transit system. And let's have um, some more discussion about it. Yeah, and, and I think that that's uh, such a beautiful uh, connection and the synergies that are existing between the different uh, systems there. And when we look at the, the percentage of people uh, that are accessing the public transport, the train system, uh, uh, how many people are getting there by bike? Yeah, so the big numbers is that, of course, uh, like in this whole discussion, let's exclude the whole COVID uh, thing, but because that has changed everything and we are now in the midst of that. But before COVID hit, we saw that uh, in the Netherlands, we have 1.2 million people using the trains on an average daily basis. So that's roughly 10% of the population. And out of these 1.2 million people sitting in trains, 600,000, half of them have arrived by bike and another 150,000 use the bike on their destination to go to the des uh, to their final destination. So, yeah, I always make the comparison if you're in, uh, uh, in a train, if you look on the right side uh, of all the seats on the right uh, of, of the, the, the thing in the middle, they have come by bike and every, all the people on the left, they have not, but maybe they would have liked and maybe they cycle on an average basis and they just live close by to the station or maybe they use it at the destination station. And actually, I like this experiment one step further. What would happen in the Netherlands, but maybe also in many other places, if we would put uh, a red scarf on people or some other identifiable feature and then signal where those people pop up and how many people pop up? Because if you're traveling by train, it's not just that you're sitting in the train, but you also have a journey going to the station or afterwards or the kind of things you do. And that, that also is when you cycle in the Netherlands, like in urban settings where you see all these pictures of the Netherlands with a lot of people cycling, it is roughly some 25% of all kilometers being made on a bike that are heading towards a station or going from a station, even though transit is just an irregular mode of transport also in the Netherlands, but it is fueling this, uh, the, the cycling volumes you see in cities. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Now, in the the video and in your presentation, you talk about the seven mechanisms of synergies. Let's let's talk a little bit about those seven. Yeah. So obviously, the 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 most important mechanism, and in a way uh, where all the other mechanisms are derived from, is simply that you have a bigger catchment area. And this seems very simple, but because everyone can think, okay, a bike goes faster, so you have a bigger area. What, but, but what pe many people fail to recognize until they see this in, in action is that if the speed of a bicycle is some three to four times higher than an average pedestrian speed, this doesn't mean your catchment area is three or four times as big. It means it's nine to 16 times as big because it goes in quadratic space, the surface of a, a circle on the places you can connect. And if you, Imagine that the typical pedestrian area that you can reach, which is uh, half or a full kilometer walking, then often a very big percentage of that square kilometer you can reach on foot is taken up by the station or the infrastructure itself or all other barriers 
and many places that have a very specific niche, like uh, offering high value, they, that those are typically the most expensive places in a city which are close to the station or the central business district. It gets actually gets interesting that you can also access the 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 the, the, the places and the functions at a somewhat released distance. Uh, so you have a bigger variety of functions you can reach, not just the high-rise functions at the spot of a station, but all the, the the places that fit in other habitats, where it's actually where most people are living. So you're just increasing this one square kilometer by nine to 16 times, but effectively maybe by 30 times. Yeah, yeah. And that's so powerful. I mean, when we really pause to think about this, it's like, we know that as a pedestrian, it's somewhere around half a mile or, you know, just maybe just shy of one kilometer is the, the, the shed, the pedestrian shed or that catchment area. And what you're really saying is that, gosh, you can, we can suddenly boost that up to, you know, somewhere between the five kilometer range. And now with uh, electric assist bikes, maybe it, and scooters, e-scooters, maybe it, even expands out to as much as 10 kilometers. So somewhere between three and six miles, suddenly you're starting to talk about distances that are relevant in the context of other global cities and other global regions, not just, you know, a, a the compact, uh, you know, regions uh, or cities that we're familiar with, like say in an Amsterdam. So that's, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful point there is that you do see that exponential expansion of that catchment area. Yeah. And I hope we keep continue talking about the cities and uh, the cycling, but I also always like to stress in the third component, which is the transit system. It's much more, uh, uh, a better system if a big part a bigger share of the transit system is operated by fewer stops because if you have an average of like 10 to 15 square kilometer per stop you maybe only need 10 stops for your major transit system in a big area rather than 200 and that makes a very big difference in how you design your systems what kind of service you can offer in terms of frequency uh, comfort, not just of the, the buses or the trains driving, but also in station facilities, also for non-bike related station facilities, that you can do more things there, that they are more recognizable, that you can invest more in them, in making them attractive places that function at some level. Uh, this is much better if a bigger share of your transit system is diverted to fewer places and the bicycle in the Netherlands functions exactly like that. It's the magic hand that connects a lot of people and functions to a relatively limited uh, places of transit stops. Yeah, and that's what you end up really getting when you have a convenient and comfortable and connected cycle network that helps get people to meaningful destinations. They'll they'll make that choice, that logical choice of getting onto the bike versus necessarily onto a local public uh, bus system because it is going to be time competitive. You know, they're going to be able to actually get to their destination, like say if they're uh, arriving to a, a city via a regional public transit system like a train yeah when they get to that train station they're they're like well i my, my destination's still uh you know one to two kilometers away it's kind of a long walk ish you know but i can jump on 
a bike. And so let's talk a little bit about that before we go to mechanism uh, number two of those seven mechanisms is that that's another little niggle that the, the, the Dutch public transport system has is that they have at most of these major train stations uh, access to public bikes, the Ove Fiets system. Well, actually, what you're describing is already uh, the second mechanism that it increases. You've used exactly the right word. It increases choice. No one is forced also in the Netherlands to go on the bike, but you literally have more stations within the catchment area of your home, namely the existing transit stations, your local bus or any other uh, that could be there. But apart from that, you extend your choice set by cycling to more distant stations, maybe nearby distance, but sometimes also further away uh, locating distant stations. And we really see that in the Netherlands, that people increase their choice set by the extra option of a bike over walking or taking feeder services. And you really get this choice phenomenon. If you have a big catchment area around each transit station, not just the main stations, but each single station, you get you suddenly have not you are not connected or located within the catchment area of one or two stops, but of 60 stops. So you can choose which is bring, giving me the best connection or the best service I'm requiring. And that can be different in different weather, but also if you travel with your children or if, you, uh, if there's disruptions for uh, 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 maintenance or any other disruption that you can adjust your journey. And one of the overlooked, often overlooked, disadvantages that people don't like of transit is mostly that they have so limited choice and control over their journey. And actually you don't want, if we specify that further, you don't want choice or control once you're sitting in your train or express bus, because then everything is fine. You can read and do whatever, but where your choice is restrained is in which services you can access and what you find on your way and how uh, reliable this connections is. And once you have more control by this extra mode and effective reach and connection to multiple stations, you can adjust them to your preferences at that time with your travel company in the weather, in the, the disruption or your return journey that you can all include them in your choice sets and how you're aiming where to pop in into this transit system. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's a beautiful visual too. So I do encourage everybody to make sure you, you, you click on through to the link uh, of the video. It's a seven minute video and, and it, you know, he'll, it'll make more sense when you see the overlapping of those catchment areas and how that increases choice. And the mechanism number three, of course, is, is that increased customization of the journey. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the, the second mechanism is really that you have access to multiple uh, catchment areas because they overlap. So you can choose which one to connect to. Uh, the third one is actually a derived one that this leads to maybe indirect effects, namely of things you find on the way because you pass through maybe urban area or through a park, which you then come uh, which distinguishes itself from not getting from A to B, but that you combine activities that you can do shopping there or be outside uh, for a longer area if it's a nice day or uh, visit a friend on the way back because that's more where he or she is living. And on the way back, you will pass by if now you make the selection to go southbound instead of northbound uh, to your station. So there's all kind of customizations that you can make on your 
outgoing or returning journey that you can include which are not transport related but which are of value for you for things that you can do and enjoy and connect and uh, combine activities with nice and then number four we see that increased market base for rapid transit yeah that that's a really interesting one because that that's actually a hidden secret not of the dutch bike system but of the dutch transit system many visitors to the netherlands uh maybe our world and the, the listeners come to the netherlands for the, the the cycling culture and attractive cities and they take pictures of all these things but the interesting thing is that all these delegations or people they somehow end up using the train and being surprised i think you can uh recognize this observation that you find yourself using the train a lot because you want to visit multiple cities because you want to see the cycling urban system uh, that gives all these beautiful pictures in multiple cities if you have more than half uh, a day so you visit not just amsterdam but also utrecht or groningen or nijmegen or delft or haarlem or alkmaar or i can go on and on and all these places they are connected on this transit system and you see that not just the the connection between cycling and transit is well arranged because we have this big bike parkings, bike share systems, and, and all things. But also the, the transit facilities themselves are excellent. Between all those cities, there is two or four or six or 10 intercities per hour from six o'clock in the morning till 12 in the midnight, running constantly like a metro system, but not connecting this one system, but connecting all the cities in the whole country with each other at the bare minimum at a two time per hour frequency, but in very many places, six or higher trains per hour with beautiful stations that are live, lively, that have facilities, that have warm ambience, where you can wait with good uh, uh, apps that you can check with an integrated ticketing system where you just swipe your card and you don't need to choose your selection with Wi-Fi on all trains, etc. And I think the way, the reason why we could have made these investments all those station facilities not related to bikers, all these intercity services not related to cyclists coming to the station is because the magic hand of the cycling is working that connects half of the travelers to not just all the stations, because we also have local stations, but to the more meaning, the, the, the bigger ones. Sometimes people use the smaller station, but even if a small station is at your doorstep, we typically see a lot of people cycle to the big station where they could also take a local train to, but that just takes more time and it's more cumbersome and you can't combine activity. So you do that on a rainy day where if you travel with your children, but the normal case is that you just skip that local station and the transit service and you just cycle to the bigger one uh, because the speeds and the travel tides and the hassle actually is comparable. And that makes a beautiful system that you can choose which one you like and hence you choose the bigger one, the, the nicer one for yourself. But in the end, this leads to that the, the, the higher level in the, the transit hierarchy, namely intercity services or express services or metros over trams, they get a bigger share of the natural balance in travel demand and supply for the transit system. So you can invest on that as the transit system for those systems to expand at a higher level while still keeping intact the local uh, system. I love it. You're my new favorite quote from you, Roland, is the magic hand of the cycling. I love that. <laughs> and uh, the, the other word is that I think the train is the wormhole, the range extender for the bike, because you can bike only a limited system and the transit system is the wormhole or the range extender that you can also visit places 
which you can't get to by your bike, but you can still keep this culture and lifestyle. Love it. Love it. Good stuff. And I also chuckle too about you talking about, you know, uh, arriving in the, in the Netherlands and taking the pretty pictures. And of course, over my shoulder here, you can see uh, a, a beautiful picture of a Oma Fietz uh, near a canal uh, right there in Utrecht uh, you know, that I snapped a couple years ago. And, uh, and incidentally, yes, a very short bike ride from the main uh, station there in, in Utrecht. So, the next mechanism is looking at that uh, that increased competitiveness of cycling, of public transit, and of cities. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this is getting a bit more abstract maybe, but this is dynamics we're really seeing at a, a time lap where um, in the Netherlands since the, the 50s, and there's historic documents that train and bicycle was connected. Actually, it's a German invention, I've heard. In, in many places, you see trains and bikes connected in some way. If there's an emerging bike culture, the first place where you see bikes parked is metro stations, like in Asian cities, but maybe also in American cities, in uh, bus uh, uh, stations, that there is a handful of bikes parked somewhere in a corner, which you don't normally see in, in, in average places. Well, in the Netherlands, we've seen since the, the, the year 2000 that we've seen a distinct takeoff, where I think, like in many other places of the world, for a long time, cities were unattractive, polluted places, that were busy, unattractive. There was a net out, uh, flux of people going out of it. They didn't really have something to offer. And somewhere in the year 2000, this changed. Uh, that That's maybe a, another podcast, but uh, it has to to do, I think, with more niches in, 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 in lifestyle, in, in how we work, in creative economy, uh, but also in increasing density that at some place the cities became an attractive aim or, or place to live or to visit or to go on day tourism by plane, but also domestic uh, day tourism. Uh, so they were suddenly the, the dynamic change. The cities were popular places again. And I think this is a black spot we, we don't really are aware of that this happens worldwide somewhere around 2000, that cities were going from a downward spiral to an upward spiral. And I think the places where cities embrace cycling and transit, where by some magic coincidence, like in the Netherlands, they were both functioning at a, a, a well level, they were all uh, helping each other. Because if cities are on the rise, how did you get to the system? If you arrive by, by the city by a car, it means the city has to invest a lot and has all these burdens of all these cars. But more importantly, you actually can't make big numbers. Like you have to make major investments and then you maybe can accommodate 1,000, 2,000 more people. But on an urban scale, that doesn't really mean a lot. But if you have a train system and in your distant village or city, you can cycle to the station and then take a train to that big city that's growing, then you organize that much more people can come to your city without that you need to make big investments and pollution of the environment, uh, the, the, the geometry, the, the space you need, and hence the, the density you can't achieve because you have to organize your transport to the city. But that also works from the small city you're coming from. And that also works for cycling culture because if for the system you start organizing, improving your train system by increasing the frequency from two to four trains. It also means for that city, the station becomes a more attractive destination to cycle to, to take the train to another place. 
And if this train system is working so well, hey, I can do away my second car. Hey, actually, I can also do away my first car. Hey, I can visit more places uh, and my friends are starting to do the same. I'm starting to make, live in a kind of bubble that I'm traveling through the countries, but mostly to these places that are connected to and an economy and a, a culture starts to rise that is connected to these places and vice versa. Then the city becomes more attractive because it's more dynamic. Uh, there's more beautiful places. It has better transport options to other places. So more people want to live there or more companies want to offer their services there. So this is all the dynamics that are start to grow when they are all aligned. The, the rise in, in urbanity, in density, in diversity, the rise in cycling options locally and in connection to transit and the rise in transit option in the services and the stations. And they just start to feed into each other. When we return after this very short layover, Roland addresses the enhanced liveliness of public spaces, the relationship of land use decisions, as well as how integrated bike sharing systems can supercharge the reach of transit. But before we roll into those topics, please allow me a moment for a quick request. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please consider sharing it within your network. You'll be helping me to expand the audience and provide additional momentum to the culture of activity movement. Okay, that's all for this short intermission. Let's bring our conversation with Roland Kaher back up to speed. The sixth mechanism is that enhanced liveliness of the public spaces so there is more vibrancy it is a safer perceived environment and so it just that synergistic you know building upon itself when you have necessarily removed a certain significant portion of the automobiles in that environment you're actually seeing more people there and so you see that livability and that liveliness of that public space. Yeah, I, I really think this is an interesting point. How often, well, I'm sorry to admit that I'm a transport engineer, but also in the debate, there's a lot of debate that transport is just getting from A to B. But actually, we also do something negative, but could also be positive to our environment while we are passing. It's obvious if we drive a car, we make nuisance in noise, in safety uh, impediments, in uh, taking physical space. So we are accustomed to not uh, talk too much about it and regulate it. But actually with transit and cycling, it's also the opposite. You, if you walk to a station or you cycle to a station, you are another face in the street. And the, the most attractive thing of streets often people think that's trees and green thing no it's faces in the street so anything that helps to get more faces in the street makes attractive streets that are attractive and safe and yeah there's something to see you've got the impression this is a lively place people care more for the place because you see people and that's the cycling also, the pedestrian is the most strongest effect, but also cycling, you do can see faces, you can see emotions, you can make a small connection and you feel, hey, I'm not standing here in the dead space, I'm standing in a living space. But then the question is, how do you get all these faces in the street, the pedestrians and the bicycles? And that is another effect of investing in better transit. So people are seduced to walk longer distances to the more attractive stations and skipping feeder services because the walking is more attractive because the public space is better and the service you get from it is better and more reliable. 
or cycling. So the, the liveliness that you typically have in station hall extends not just to the station square, but also to the next street and to the next street uh, for cyclists. And that does have an impact. That again is the red scarves, maybe that once in the Netherlands, but also maybe in other countries and especially cities. Once we see the number of the few people we maybe see that a very big portion of them is wearing that red scarf. They were in a train a bit before and not just they are getting from A to B by the service, but they are also making this place lively. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good, good point. We'll have to work on that uh, a, a extension to your study, and so give you a big budget for lots of red scarves <laughs> for that. <laughs> so the seventh mechanism of synergies is looking at that push towards the transformation of uh, land use. Talk a little bit about that concept of agglomeration versus sprawl. Yeah, this is actually the biggest fascination for me on which I think is maybe the, the most difficult one to understand. But once you see it, I really think this is the most powerful. And it's interesting to, to see that we don't really have a word for it, but we have a word for the opposite, which is urban sprawl. If you invest in cars, it's a well-known fact. You get these sprawling cities that are low density, unattractive, at, at no place you have emptiness and at other places and at all places and at no place you have density everywhere you have something in between that doesn't lead to vibrant communities nor to lively or attractive places because why would you make one place attractive and the other not because they're all the same there's no uh, because there is no difference in accessibility you also don't see a specialization in functions that thrive at a place I try to think about the transport mobility system, uh, the transport spatial system like ecosystems. Uh, you have wet places and you have dry places, but actually few species can survive in the wet places and few in the dry places. It's all that they find their place in the gradient. Some places are half wet and half dry and some are three quarters dry. And, and on this range, uh, once you can stretch uh, like an elastic band, this gradient slope from high accessibility, low accessibility, high concentration, low concentration, like this wet and dry metaphor, that is where the most interesting uh, species can develop because they all find their own place. And the thing we have to do is to make sure that these gradients have some space that is bigger than a few centimeters, like if you have the steep gradients to waterways from land to waterways, if you make the slope more gradient, uh, more 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 uh, stretched out. Every species can find their place, and I think that is what cycling and transit also do. They make some places very well ac uh, accessible. This is the the station areas, the, the 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 surroundings of the major transit stops, and you see very the the, the super wet places, <laughs> and you have the super dry places. But you have a, a considerable gradient of several kilometers and square kilometers of urban space where you see a gradual diminishing of this wetness to the, the, the dryness further away. And what effect this has is that you get some kind of polycentric development. You don't have one place where all the action is taking place like maybe uh, the shopping mall is an example. You have a sea of cars and in the middle, which is always interesting that if you build for cars, you still seek for these car-free places. So we build a shopping mall where we have car-freeness within the sea of cars, but actually that is what we're wanting. Um, but likewise, you, you have 
multiple centers that all can specialize to their own level. But more interesting, you get this whole relaxed fringe around it, like a donut in varying sizes that have considerable size that can also find their place that are um, yeah, functions, employment, uh, but also facilities like parks and maybe emptiness uh, that find their place and they have a bet better grid on the, the 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 cycling transit grid this is i think a bit how you can see at dutch cities they i actually think men most of the netherlands is functioning like one urban system as if it would be a big system uh, a city but you have a lot of green and emptiness in between and all these secondary centers which are finding their place but they're actually all working together over the lines of this transit system which is connecting them and locally on this bike system which is stretching out the band yeah and you just mentioned you know you have all this green and emptiness uh you know in between and and you know from these polycentric uh agglomerations and orientations that you have going on there but in actuality when you uh, when you actually see that green and emptiness it's productive farmland in much of uh in much of that area which you notice if you're on the train or if you are on one of the uh, uh, the the cycle tracks that take you from from village to village, from city to city, you get to enjoy the fact that very quickly you are in that greenness and and notice that in many cases it's it's actually productive farmland. Yeah, I actually think we could do something better than making productive farmland of it. But yeah, that that that's true. Uh, I I think it's amazing that we have all this. Uh, agricultural production in this uh, dense country. I think that the point here is more that we actually didn't need that space for uh, offices, for housing, for transport system, because we have them all in dense cities that are working together. So we have these big spots of land that the focus is not really on. So they have remained as agricultural land and they have developed themselves further to become hyper productive, I think with considerable cost. Well, it's another discussion what we should do with that. But I think the point here is that we can have a thriving urban economy where many portions of the land actually are not taking part in this uh, system. So maybe we could do at some place or for other functions than agriculture. But yeah. Yeah. And, and, and your point being is that you, you've relieved a little bit of that pressure for sprawl development. Uh, which is, you know, something that has routinely happened, especially here in North America, where because of the automobile orientation, you know, that facilitation of that, that sprawl continues to develop. So that brings us around to your three tips that you have to try to uh, embrace this concept if you're, say, a city or a region in North America here or anywhere else around the world. What are those three tips that you, that you have for folks? Well, my first step is always to align uh, your policies on cycling, on transit and on cities. Of course, I know we are not master planners uh, where we start with an empty sheet and OK, how, now we're going to do this uh, great thing. But I've worked as a civil servant and as a researcher and every time we reprioritize our plans or we uh, bring them one step further or we have to respond to changes in whatever sphere. So there's always adjustment. So when I say alignment, it's actually alignment in the adjusting of existing plans or taking chances where we can choose location A or location B, but we have to choose one. 
and then maybe choose the one where the other two search systems are better developed. So if we have cycling budgets that is limited and we have to invest it either at location A or locator B, and all else being equal, then do it at A if at A there is better transit systems or there is uh, uh, an, an impulse in, in urbanity either uh, proposed or actually existing. And vice versa, if you want to urbanify places, do so in the places where transit is better accommodated or in the vicinity or cycling and preferably both. So go through your strategic and tactical and operational agendas as a government, but maybe also as pressure groups or as researchers to focus your attention. If you invest in one of these three systems, make it a factor that the other two are also invested in or scheduled to do so when you have a choice. Yeah. So if I understood you correctly, that that first tip is really a two part tip. It's like update the policy and provide the budget, the funding, the investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And tip number two really is sort of identifying if you're starting from scratch. Yeah. What I hear a lot and I think is the common practice and um, I'm not a saint for the Netherlands, maybe not because we've made exactly the same uh, error is to focus efforts and not distribute. And this is not just uh, an empty word, but it's actually a, a fundamental characteristic of how cycling and transit connect. We are geared to think of transit systems as connecting only pedestrian catchment areas. And hence we have to make a standard set of facilities at each place. And now we pop on cycling. So we make bike racks at each bus stop. And I think that's a very bad policy because the thing cycling does, I hope we have time that I can um, uh, explain that cycling is never in competition with buses, but it is in competition with bus stops. Because if you use a bike, you typically in the Netherlands don't go to your nearest stop where prefer, previously you went walking to, except if it's very far. You go to another stop that gives more direct services with less changes or uh, with more comfortable uh, station facilities or transit services that are going from there with, with a higher frequency, etc., etc. So only make these bike racks at those places and not at your local stop. So that can be just make one big bike parking garage, but do it right and not distribute your funds over all transit stops equally. Because from a bike perspective and exactly the, the, the synergies and the dynamics you want to achieve, they are not equal. They are equal for pedestrians but they are not equal for, for cyclists. And actually there's a whole, we can't delve into it, a whole theory about it, but I've had the pleasure of supervising some international students while I was working at University of Amsterdam. Uh, the transit system is not just great in making big distances, but it could also be elevation distances or waterways, like the, the Bay Area is a classic example, that the final station before the Golden Gate Bridge or where you cross this this water barrier, that is a stop where you can have good bike facilities or one or two stops before where it's more, uh, you have better options building that thing, but not all the stops much further away because that's a thing bike can't do. You can't cover that, uh, that waterway or an elevation difference or whatever. So do the places that offer transit services that do jump over this, this barrier or distance uh, barrier and invest your uh, money there. 
Yeah, good point. And so really what you're saying here is if you're just getting started, really focus on two to three targeted areas and and make sure that you get that right. Is that correct? Yeah. And uh, I, I really think this is something that goes much deeper in selecting those places, uh, the scalability, because yeah, the analogy is building a bridge. The analogy is right first because this this uh, axiom you can't justify a bridge by the number of people swimming over the river that's one that's actually what you're trying to do you're building something and in many places you don't see similar facilities so you don't know what to expect and then it's strange to build a big bridge because no one is swimming over the river but the other thing also uh, uh, works out of a bridge that once you build a bridge, you don't only cater for the existing streams. Typically, you get an explosion of how places connect with each other, where first they were separated and now they're connected. You not just see the people previously going from the one side of the river to the other side, but you see a whole new explosion of connections on both sides. So accommodate for that well, because that's exactly what's happening once you start make high quality uh, bike parking facilities at transit stations, you get other transit usage by new users and, and reason from those effects, they A, they justify your cost, uh, but also they have implications on the, the kind of facilities you make and uh, how you design them. Now, your third tip is to specify synergies. Expand upon that. Well, maybe to give the example, there's a whole range of um, where in the Netherlands you see that we, we have the system in place, but you can also see them between bigger cities and large, uh, smaller cities uh, in cities and reason from what you're actually trying to achieve. And I think the, the, the example is bike in train. I have a very complex, I'm always asked about bike in train for people coming from other countries. And I, my stance is it, it's fine to accommodate bike in train, but be aware that it's a dead end street because you can only accommodate 10% at maximum of the people using that train to have their bike in on board. And if you have to make incredible amounts uh, of investments for that in rolling stock, but also in stations and, and elevators and anything that goes with it uh, and boarding times, so slower surfaces, uh, if not just a handful of people are using the services, but 50% of the people. And then I, I try to say, make that uh, uh, awareness. Bike and train is fine, but be aware that you can't accommodate more than perhaps what you're already accommodating. And then is it worth the trouble and all the investment? Because once you do that, and for example, Danish railways have done so, but also German railways, and they really find themselves in this dead end street. They have invested massively in the system to take your bike on board of metros and trains. And now they are finding out we are accommodating 10%, people demanding more because it works well, but we can't because we can't go and maybe with the next effort we can reach 20%, but then still it's not interesting because we still don't have these seven mechanisms I've just described because these 20% extra users, if they're all new users, won't make a fundamental difference in how we operate our system. And hence it's not interesting to accommodate. We can accommodate as a niche service uh, for transition times with low investment where we have a rolling stock space left in our rolling stock and other stations, that's all fine or at off-peak hours. But if we really are serious that we want this dynamic we are seeing in big cities in the Netherlands 
or other cities where you see cycling and transit work together, you have to aim for higher numbers. And if you reason those numbers through, you see you can't accommodate that with bike and train. And the same you can reason from the bike parking solutions or the bike share systems, reason from the, the systems you would like to achieve in the long run. I know that won't change in overnight, but these systems are being designed and effectuated in over a 10, 15 year period. And reason in 10, 15 years, I think it's achievable from experience we see elsewhere to be at that point. How do I make sure that each investment that I make works towards that point and not that I'm turning into dead end street that turns out to not deliver coming to this point or yeah, just don't work out. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're really seeing the investment to support the behavior that you want to encourage, that you want to see. So you're seeing significant investment, especially recently over the past decade or so, in really high quality bicycle parking facilities that are safe and secure and very, very convenient uh, for folks so that you're, you're reinforcing that behavior of, yes, ride your bike to this train station. It's one of the central uh, main stops that you had mentioned earlier. And, uh, and don't forget where you parked it, because these are literally holding thousands upon thousands of bikes in many cases. And uh, but then at the other end of your, your trip, some people will if it's a frequent enough trip that uh, they, they may have a, a spare bike to be able to get to their destination, or they may take advantage of the Ove feats, which we had mentioned briefly, which is a, a, a system, a shared bike system where they can use the same transit pass that they used for their trip. They can use to check out a, a bike to be able to get to their ultimate destination if their ultimate destination is further than walking distance. So is that what you mean by, you know, making sure you have that synergy in all those? Yeah, we have talked about uh, the, the abstract concept of connecting cycling with transit a lot, and we have delved into bike parking a lot and also biking train. But like you say, actually, the, the most powerful tool is bike share systems. They are powerful because they are being developed in many cities, which is exactly where transit connects to. And this is the more difficult end because that's for many people the destination uh, end. So connect trend, uh, bike share systems with the transit system, not just physically at the place, but also in integrated ticketing or integrated marketing. Uh, and there's really good examples of that and use opportunities that you can plan ahead for like big events or uh, rail maintenance or temporal closures that you use the communication in those kind of disruptions or different periods to, to pinpoint or make a package deal with bike share systems. Yeah, in the Netherlands, we see an integrated pass where you can open your bike parking at the station with your travel card. So you use the same travel card to register your bike because in many places it's 24 hour free uh, the, the first 24 hours you park but you have to register if you come and you have to register if you leave if that's less than 24 hours so that's your train tickets that you're registering your bike parking uh, with and if it's longer then the the money for that like 50 cents or one euro per day is subtracted from your travel uh, uh, budget so that's all one pass but the same can be marketing there is uh, uh, this marketing uh, where the travel planner in the Netherlands, where you see if you enter an address, the travel planner gives you the 
time by train and then an overhead feed service, how long that's cycling, because you have kind of many places you can go to station A and then you're 20 minutes longer in a train and it's just a 10 minutes, right? But you can also travel to station B and then it's five minutes instead of 20 minutes on the train, but then it's 20 minutes instead of 10 minutes biking. And we really see that people choose between the two. So they also ask of a travel planner to give these kind of options. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great point. Roland, is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you want to make sure that we talk about today? Ooh, I've talked a lot, so uh, happy to hear a lot of people are still listening. I think it's always a great pleasure uh, if people visit the country and really experience uh, the system, that the two systems, actually the free systems, the cycling system, the transit system, and the urban system are really connected uh, in the lens. But also maybe look at your own cities and try to see how those same mechanisms work also in your own city, that maybe cycling and transit and urbanity are at a much lower level but to see that at those places where they are somewhat higher you see a positive trend and try to look how to reinforce that trend yeah and maybe uh, if you want to make one step further if your city is bigger if there's bigger investment in the transit system or in the the, the cycling system go out for consultancy services i'm still a consultant of abroad to have a, a, a peer review of your plans uh, and have with a local team of civil servants invite some people from the netherlands to, to look at those plans maybe have surprising insights in what works well because we all have this in our dna because we're using a lot of people are using the system day by day so they know how it functions and it's really another way of looking and designing transit system than just for pedestrians. While at the same time, I always have to add, we have a transit system that works on the pedestrians as well. It's a bonus. And you also build it for the expansion, not the replacement of your transit system, but the next level of your transit system. That's where you're building uh, for, and that's where you can build for if you include the bike. Yeah, yeah. And I love one of the quotes that you had mentioned a couple of years ago when I first met you. It's like, you know, the cycling is not necessarily a, a competitor directly to the automobile, but that combination of the effective public transport system and the combination of the cycle network and cycling, then you start seeing it being much more competitive. Yeah, and also not blur the lines because there is still people in local buses and trams and metros in the Netherlands, but they cycled to their origin destination, then took the train and at the destination they took the feeder bus or the metro. So this cycling is actually fueling the people in the Dutch metro or local transit system because maybe on a per trip basis they make less use of uh, uh, feeder services, but they make 10 times as more transit trips so even with a lower percentage on a per trip basis in total they make more use people cycling often to the station of also of local uh, transit systems yeah yeah and we didn't talk about it specifically but one of the uh interesting graphs that you have uh, really exemplifies uh, the power of the bike being something that can literally be that door-to-door -door type of uh, of situation, you know, somewhat analogous to the the automobile. It's like, yes, if, if you need to be able to, you know, have that flexibility of uh, being able to get to that position of of from your door to 
whether it's your ultimate destination or an intermediary uh, destination, uh, like, say, the, the train station. Maybe the analogy is there are more airports, how airports connect with cars. The, for the, the, this example, for many people, it's much more clear of what I'm uh, trying to say and many of these dynamics. The airline is a fixed element of your journey. And then actually, you don't need this airport at your doorstep uh, because this transit stop, the airport, offers a service that you can't get at closer places. So you have another choice set you want to have available, which could be the car, but on an urban level, this is the bike to reach other stations. But it also works on the other way around. Often in the Netherlands, people say, why do you have bike system, bike share systems? All the Dutch people have bikes. Yeah, but if you, it's the same as why do you have car rental at airports? I mean, the people sitting in this air, uh, airline have come by, by car. Yeah, but they have left that car at their origin destination and they need this service uh, at their destination system. That's how the whole system functions. So you can't imagine this airport exists in an insulation and the same a transit stop is dependent if you want to reach the next level uh, by including bikes to include these range sets and travel options and uh, people for you offering a valuable service. Yeah, yeah. Excellent point. Now, I know you're out there active on Twitter under the handle uh, Bike Train Guru. Is that the best place for people to follow your work? I try to post something there. I think uh, uh, Google Bike and Train, I've had the honor to um, write some articles and manuals about uh, uh, cycling and transit. I give various labels to it. So if you cycle, uh, type bike and train and my name, Roland Kager, or cycling inclusive transit, I think you'll find uh, a lot of that material online. But I'm also happy to uh, receive mails or messages on this bike train guru direct message or just by mail. You'll find it if there's something that you think that could connect us. And we'll uh, be sure to have all the links in the show notes and on the landing page to this episode. Roland, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you here today. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Thanks so much and good luck with the Active Towns. It's a beautiful movement and I follow it with big pleasure. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to episode number 62 of the Active Towns podcast. I hope you found this conversation with Roland interesting and informative. I find the bike transit combination to be a compelling solution for so many cities across North America and around the globe that find themselves mired in the challenges of car dependency. Relying primarily on walking in combination with transit falls far short because our meaningful destinations are typically well beyond acceptable walking distances. Transit-coordinated bike share systems, shared micromobility schemes, and the increasing availability of electric assist cycles are all legitimate game changers. If, and this is the critical if, we continue to make significant progress in building out our safe and inviting all ages and abilities active mobility networks. Because the only way all of this works is if normal everyday folks feel truly welcome and supported while cycling to and from their transit journeys. Please be sure to check out the embedded video and reference links included in this episode's landing page on our website and in the show notes. 
Three quick reminders before we part ways. First, please don't hesitate to drop me a line if you have any thoughts on future guests or topics. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. It's always wonderful to hear from y'all. Second, if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to my monthly Culture of Activity newsletter. Third, you knew this was coming, right? (laughs) It's my final fundraising plug. If you're financially in a position to do so, please help me out by making a tax-deductible contribution. As a very small nonprofit, your donations really do make a big difference in my ability to deliver this content. To make that contribution, just head over to activetowns.org and again, click on that blue donate button on the top right corner of the page. Thank you so much. Okay, that's all for this week. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.